Hello and welcome to Grace in the Marketplace. My name is Tafara Butai. Did you know that God is inside Kairos moments, divine connections, favor, unmerited strength for his children, for the marketplace? I like to call all of this God's grace in the marketplace. And so on this podcast, that's what we're going to be talking about and many other subjects. So let's check out today's podcast. Awesome. Praise God. Well, thank you guys so much, Kapar uh, and Chipo, for inviting me. I really consider it an honor to be here. And uh, I want to talk about um, something today as I was praying for you guys. Um, and it's a message I've got. I've, I've taught it several times before, but I really felt it was the right message for you today. It's called Seven Faces Every Leader Needs. Okay. Now, we live in a world, don't we? If you want to insult someone, you call them two-faced. You know, you're two-faced, you know, and um, and I agree, you shouldn't be two-faced in the sense that you shouldn't be nice to someone's when they're there and then when they're not there, you know, backstab them. That's not nice. Um, you know, we, we had a lady in our church, she had two Facebook accounts, one in which she was friendly to everyone in the church and one in which she was tearing the church apart and insulting the church. And so when, when, we, when we found this out, someone said, she's got two Facebook accounts. I said, she needs them. She needs one for each face. And, you know, that kind of two-faced is not nice. Okay, I'm not talking about that today. But I'm speaking to leaders today, okay? And uh, some of your church leaders, I'm sure some of your business leaders as well. And I believe that God's calling some of you to be national leaders, to be international leaders. I believe that God has called you together for such a time as this. And um, God wants every single one of you to be the head and not the tail in every situation you're in. And so one of the things you need to understand is that to be a good leader, to be an effective leader, you need to be adaptable to the situation you're in. You cannot bring the same face to every situation, okay? Now, I'm a pastor. That's my ministry, okay? So I've got mainly sheep in Tree of Life. It's mainly sheep, but there are some goats in there, okay? And there's some wolves in there, too, as well. There's a few wolves come along sometimes. And um, they don't get the same response from me, each of those different categories of people. I show a different face to them. You know, one of the mistakes we make as Christians is we try and be the same to everybody. And we can't. We shouldn't be. Okay, Paul understood this. You read Paul's writings to the Greeks, I became Greek. To those under the law, I started to, I changed my face. I started to look like someone under law. To the weak, I became weak. And so as I was praying for you guys for the last couple of weeks, and my passion was really, I really felt the Lord lay my heart to teach you to be a bit more adaptable, to be all things to all men and perchance win some. And so these are the seven faces I think you need to be able to bring to the table. The first one I think is the most important. And so if you've got your Bibles, it's in Proverbs 25 and verse 23. Proverbs 25 and verse 23. And it says in the King James, it says, The north wind drives away rain, so doth an angry countenance a backbiting tongue. Okay? So the north wind was the wind in Israel that got rid of the rain. Okay? You need an angry face sometimes. Every leader needs a face, and it drives away the backbiting tongue. Okay, so your north wind face drives away rain. You know, it's a rainy day. It's horrible. It's raining. You've got driving the rain. You've got walking the rain. But suddenly the north wind shows up and blows all the rain away, and you're like, yay, praise God for the north wind. Now, you're running your church. You're running your, your, your small group. You're running your Bible study. You're running your Facebook class. You're running this. You're running that. There's nothing worse than somebody in that group and somebody in your church with a backbiting tongue. There's nothing worse than somebody who's not prepared to backbite people. It's ter- terrible. Someone that quick, like they can rip a whole church apart. They can destroy your living church, your small group. You know, they can destroy your business if you're an employer. They can destroy anything. But the Hebrew word there is kefa. And it means a very secretive gossip. It means someone whose talk is always hidden. And that sort of stuff will kill a church. So how do you stop it? You need a face that stops it. You need a face that says, we're not having this discussion. Okay? Someone comes to you and says, and your hand runs up. You need a face that says, we're not having this conversation. You don't even need to talk to that person. You need a face that says, we're having this conversation. I call it my North Wind face. I get all my leaders to practice their North Wind face. Okay? Their face that says, this conversation is now over. Okay? Now, I got saved in the Baptist church. That was my background. No gifts of the spirit, no tongues, no power of the spirit. We certainly didn't believe in healing. We certainly, certainly didn't believe in prosperity. And um, then I got baptized in the Holy Ghost. I started speaking in tongues, and they booted me out of the Baptist church. And I joined our local Pentecostal church. And I went to university, and I went to a faith church for the first time in my life. This was in 19, 
94. And um, we had a prophet come in 1994 to our church. Um, you may have heard of him. His name was Dale Gentry. He's quite, quite internationally known. And um, he had, we had a really powerful meeting. And it was a, a normal kind of church service. Start with the worship, have an offering, introduce the speaker, you know, have the service. But the end of the service, and it was a very powerful service. The presence of God was in the room. People getting very accurate prophecies. People getting healed. Um, the pastor gets up and says, God's just spoke to me to raise a second offering and give it to the guest speaker. Okay. Now, for most of you, that's probably quite normal. Where I come from, and my Baptist background, that was very, two offerings in one service. You know, I was not impressed with this. And so I was sitting next to my small group leader. She was the lady who ran all the student ministry in the church. And I was in a student's group and she was running that group with me. And she was a lovely lady. She was a wonderful woman of prayer, very gentle lady, very kind lady. And I'm very strong in ministering to the students. And well, I leaned over and said, I said something to her like, this is stupid, this is ridiculous having a second offering. And I got a face. I got a face from that woman. And um, I, I was single in 1994. I wasn't a married man in 1994. I did not know in 1994 that a woman's face could have four pages of information on it. I did not know that at the time. Okay. You know, every married man in the room's looking at me. You know what I mean? You know, that, that looks, the single guy's like, is that true? Is that true? Oh, trust me, one day you'll find out. You, you, your, your wife can put three pages of A4 on one face. Okay. And, um, but the face I got was angry. It was an angry countenance. It was a North Wind face. It basically said, the, the one face said, you are a student. You've never earned a day's wage in your life. You've never worked a job in your life. Um, our pastor's been pastoring for nearly 50 years. And if he says he's heard God about a second offering, we're going to have a second offering and you can shut your mouth about it. You're not allowed to have an opinion about this. Why are you so mean? Why are you so tight-fisted? Why are you so stingy? We really need to get this Baptist mindset out of your head. Sort yourself out, boy. You know, I mean, that was all on the face. We need a face like that sometimes. Have you heard what they're up to? I'm not going to, we don't have this conversation. You need a face that says, this rain is not falling on me. We're not having this conversation. We're not having a similar conversation. We're not having this conversation tomorrow. We're not having it next week. This conversation will never, ever take place. Okay? So don't you think it's strange? Don't you think it's strange? You know, now the church getting a bit bigger. Pastor's traveling so much. Surely you think pastor should be home more? Face. We're not having that conversation. You're not having that conversation. That conversation is none of your business. Who, who are you to decide whether the pastor travels? Shut up. You know, your face says that, you know. Some of you are going to go into ministry yourself and do, you know, and some of you right now are assistant pastors. Let me just have a word to any assistant pastors in the room, okay? You've no idea, zero idea what it is to be in the big chair. And I'm not saying that, you know, I mean, I, like um, Defar said, you know, I run a network of church. You've got zero idea what you're protected from. You've got zero idea what we catch for you guys, okay? And then, you see, if you're not the senior pastor of a ministry and you're working, you're serving like most of you are, you have a luxury. You have a luxury that no one who's senior has. And that's the luxury of being able to take sides in an argument. That's a luxury. An assistant can do that. You can't do that when you're senior. You know, David had to compromise with everyone who came to him. Everyone who left David was equally upset when they left David. That's, that's, that, 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 that's a sign you're doing a good job with the pastor, by the way, is if there's a fight over something in the church, everyone's upset. If everyone's upset, you're doing a good job. Okay? If some people want the worship to be a bit more longer and some people want it to be a bit more shorter, okay, and you have it there and everyone's unhappy, then you've probably done a good job. If, if half the church are really happy, and they're like, well, you've probably done a bad job. You know, you need to kind of come to that place that upsets everybody. And so, but when you're an assistant, when you're Absalom and you're not really the king, you're just pretending it's easy to go in there and take sides. Yeah, well, if I was in charge, man, I'll have the worship for 10 hours. Or if I was in charge, I'd have 10 minutes, whatever it is. You know, you have that luxury. And Absalom manipulated that. And I'm sure none of you are manipulating anything here. But even with the best of intentions, even if you've got the greatest character in the world, even if you're totally loyal to the church, at some point, somebody in the church is going to come to you because you're the associate. And they say, look, I only come to this church because of you. I only come because of you. You know, you're so kind. You're so approachable. Um you know, I, I love this ministry so much. And, you know, I, I love I love this. I love what's going on. And, and you seem to like the favorite TV ministry I like. And, and, and Pastor doesn't seem to understand that TV ministry. And, you know, and, and you really get the message. You really get the stuff. And, you know, Pastor doesn't really get it like you, does he? And, um, you know, trust me, you need a face at that point. So this conversation is not happening. Because you don't want to be starting your first church that way. Because it won't work. 
You need that face. You need to practice that north wind face. Especially, I'm looking at you all now. You all look so beautiful and wonderful. You know, you're not like Londoners, okay? Londoners look like we're going to eat you for breakfast anyway. Right? You guys all look like you just chat away and talk. No, you need to practice that face. You need to get in front of your mirrors and, you know, you know, build that kind of face. You need to practice that, okay? We're not having this conversation. We don't appreciate backbiting around here, and all we do is drive it off. So that's your number one face, your north wind face. Everyone got that one? Okay, second face is what I call the shining face. The next two faces come from the life of Moses. Moses was a remarkable leader. If you want to be a better leader, look to the life of Moses. And one of the reasons was he was a remarkable leader is Moses spent a ridiculous amount of time in the presence of God. He was with God, listening to God. You can't be a good leader without spending time with God. You know, Peter said, I can't run this church and run the soup kitchen. The church is too big. I need to be in the word. I need to pray. I need to be in the presence of God. And um, what's hilarious is if you read Acts chapter six, it says, as the church grew, the amount of the, the, the disciples complained. You think as a church grows, everyone's happy. No, when a church grows, things have to change. And that gets people unhappy. You know, a, a growing church is a murmuring church. And um, a, a stagnant church is a happy church because everything's the same. It's, oh, it's just what we did last week. Awesome. That's great. But if you want to grow a church, people get annoyed. If you want to grow a church, it takes longer to find somewhere to park in the car park. That annoys people. If you want to grow a church, it's harder to get. You know, you can't just call up pastor on the phone anymore. You've got to go to his PA, and that's annoying people. And if you want to grow a church, well, what you used to be able to do in the car park, well, that's an elders meeting. We've only got two elders. We'll just talk, talk to the two elders, sorted. Now you've got 25 elders. You need an agenda. You need minutes. You need this. You need that. You need to get everyone together. And, oh, this church has lost grace now. No, it hasn't. It hasn't gone legalistic. It's gone formal because it's growing. And so people get, when you grow, you have to change your structure and move to another structure because that structure was great for that many people, but now you need a bigger structure. And you, but what you must need to do is if you're leaders, you need to keep in the word and keep in prayer. And Peter had a choice. Peter had a big choice. The church was growing and the people were murmuring. The people were moaning, the people were complaining. And what they were moaning about was the feeding ministry of the church. That's where the point of contention was, okay? Because that feeding ministry was set up for the Hebrew Jews, okay? They were the Jews that were happy having chicken soup and a bagel, right? That's what they were happy with. And then the Greek widows, the Greek widows were there. They weren't happy with that. You know, we'd like some hummus, please. We'd like some tomato soup, please. Um, how about some kebabs? We'd like some kebabs. We want some kebabs. And so, you know, and Peter could have done what many pastors do. He could have done what many pastors do. Right, I'll sort it. And he could have gone to the shops and bought himself all these Greek cookery books and learned how to cook Greek. And he could have sort of fed everyone. And went, Man, you're the best pastor in the world. But the church wouldn't have grown. And Sunday morning, when Peter came to preach, he wouldn't have anything in his head apart from recipes for tzatziki, and he wouldn't be able to preach. And where's the word of God? Where's the prayer? Where's the life? So he could have done that, and a lot of pastors do that. They just run around like crazy people trying to help everyone. Or he could have gone, well, stuff it, guys. Look, that's the food. It's free food. Take it or leave it. It's up to you, man. You know, it's up to you. He could have done that. You know, that, that happens too. But he didn't do that. What Peter did, he actually invented a whole new office of leadership. Before Acts 6, there was no such thing as deacons in the church. Peter invented a whole new kind of leader, right? You guys, your job is to make sure, and he picked seven guys. They're all tongue talkers. They're all full of faith, but also they're all Greek. They've all been cooking Greek food since they were little babies. Their grandmas taught them. It's all good. They can cook the food everyone likes. Everyone's happy. And then Peter went back to the word, went back to prayer. You have to be like Moses in that you have to spend enough time with the Lord that it shines, that when you preach, when you pray, when you minister to someone, you are reflecting the fact that you know what God says. You know what the word says. You know what's in the purpose of God. Moses spent so much time with the Lord that the glow got on him. He started to glow. Now, listen, I know, you know, I'm, I'm, I teach faith. I teach grace. I know that in your spirit, you're righteous. I could teach on righteousness today. You know, I've been teaching on righteousness for months in our church. You know, I believe the new birth is not just being forgiven, but you're now a new creation. You're just like Jesus in the spirit. And I'm so grateful for that message, man. I was Baptist and I'm so glad they taught me the truth. You know, and I was I was a good Baptist preacher, by the way. I was good. I could get you to cry about anything. I could do the old revival thing. I make you feel rubbish, make you feel you couldn't pray, make you feel like you couldn't love God, make you feel like you were useless. Man, and that, that that's what you called a good message in the Baptist. Man, you, you, you're a revivalist. People go crying when you preach because they all feel condemned. No, and then in 1997, I had Kenneth Colton preach on righteousness. In 198, I heard Andrew Womack for the first time preach on spirit, soul, and body. I went to the meeting by mistake, but I got caught up in it. And um, he opened the meeting was if you read in the Bible that you think that you're righteous, blessed and healed, but you look at your life and think you're not, this message is for you. And I thought that message is for me. And um, I learned spirit, soul and body and I was transformed forever. But did you know that I was just as righteous before I knew I was righteous? I was just as righteous before I heard Andrew teach on spirit, soul and body. I was just as righteous, but I didn't know it. So I couldn't help anybody. I couldn't use it because I didn't know it was there. 
Okay, and even though you're born again, like Peter, you have to devote yourself to the word and prayer. Like Moses, you have to leave the crowd, climb up the mountain and fellowship with the Lord until he rubs off on us, until your shadow is healing the sick, until your face is glowing, until when you speak, people get healed, people get saved, people get delivered, people get transformed, until, you know, I spoke at a conference two years ago last summer. It's the first conference, that's the last conference I spoke at, spoke at in person. Okay, and I was the second last speaker in the conference. And when I finished preaching, the last speaker in the conference couldn't speak because the glory of God was in the room so much. That, that, that's the standard we're looking for. That's where we need to go. I'm not bragging to myself. It was the presence of the Lord that did it, not my presence, I can assure you. Okay, and if you're in any form of leadership, whether it's you know, church leadership, business leadership, family leadership, just influencing people for Jesus, you need to spend time with the Lord until you're glowing, until there's life in you, until there's a difference, until when you say, thus says the Lord, you know it's true, you know it's in your heart. Jesus climbs a mountain in Matthew 17, doesn't he? And he starts to glow. And Peter, James, and John there, and Peter's the idiot, the proverbial idiot, the gospels, isn't he? You know, uh, let's stay on the mountain forever. No, you can't stay on the mountain forever. You can't stay in your prayer closet forever. You can't just pray every day. You've got to go, you, but you've got to go up there. You've got to be transformed. You've got to get a glowing face. And then you've got to spend time with the Lord. Now, when Jesus comes down from the mountain, there's a boy at the bottom of that mountain who's epileptic. He's demonized and suicidal. And dad's at his wit's end. And the disciples who weren't in the presence of the father and didn't climb the mountain couldn't do anything about it. They were just as righteous and just as much disciples, but they hadn't spent the time with the Lord to know that they know that they know when I pray, something's going to happen. And Jesus said, look, if you believe all things are possible, anybody can say that, but do you know it? Have you spent time meditating on it? Have you spent time feeding on it? Have you been feeding on the word? Are you glowing with fellowship? And when Jesus was so glowing with fellowship, the dad said, I believe, and it was done. You need to be so glowing with fellowship that other people just start believing just because you're in the room. Okay. You need a routine in your life. Every one of you needs a routine in your life that enables you to be on a regular basis. I would say a daily basis, praying in tongues, reading your Bible, reading books that are written by people who are living the life of faith. You know, find out what who good authors are. Ask your pastor what good books are and read them and reread them and buy those books, read those books. And, you know, every first of the month, I take the first of every month off. And the first thing I do when I get up is I read Andrew Womack's book, Don't Limit God. I read it cover to cover every first of the month before I do anything else. Okay. You know, read the balance of grace and faith. That'll set anyone straight, you know, and read, read and read and spend some time fellowshipping until you're glowing, until you've got it. Okay. You know, I've got to be very careful because I'm an Englishman Englishmen are programmed to think small. You know, we need to learn how to think big. You need to think big. I had to break that small thinking off of my life, you know. And uh, I remember it wasn't that long ago, I, I got up and I started listening to that Don't Listen God series by Andrew. And um, I was listening to it for about four hours. And I got in a situation where I had to believe for 30,000 pounds of money. And I believed within two days the money came in. Now, what if I got up and spent four hours listening to Queen or Bon Jovi? I'd still be just as loved by God. I'd still be just as righteous. I'd still be just as pure, but I wouldn't have a glowing face. So I could say that's happening and it's going to be the case and it's going to happen. And that's what we need. You need to have a glowing face. You need to spend time in the word, time in prayer until your face glows, until you love the unlovely, until they put a blind boy in front of you and it doesn't phase you. You just stand and command the blindness to leave and it leaves. Okay. Do what you have to do to get a glowing face. Pray, read the word, read other authors, go to conferences, be in church every Sunday, pray for whatever it is, fast, listen to other messages, get a glowing face. Do you know when E.W. Kenyon decided he was going to be a pastor, he told his big brother, his big brother was not a Christian and they were going to go into business together. And he said to his brother, I can't go into business. God's called me to ministry. And his brother was really upset. And Kenya went to visit his brother and said, look, God's called me to do this. And his brother said, the reason I'm upset is because I know God's called you to do this. He said, I don't even believe there's a God, but I can see God when you speak. That's called the glowing face. Okay. That's the kind of face we need. But then we need a glowing face. But we also, listen carefully now, you need a veiled face as well. How I many of you know in Exodus 34, you can read it, when Moses came down off the mountain, he covered his face up. Why did he cover his face up? Because he wasn't Mr. Super Spiritual all the time. Do you understand what I'm saying here? He wasn't going to Costa and drinking his coffee shop, drinking his coffee going, did you know everyone I've been with Jesus and Jesus has spoken to me today? Man, you know, he doesn't go walk down the street and grab him and go, were you in church this week? Do you know what the pastor said in church? No, you don't evangelize well when you scare people. And you don't win people to your cause when you're spooky and woo, okay? A glowing face is intimidating. It's powerful. So Moses learned something. 
there are times you need to veil your face. This is our third face. First face is the north wind face. Second face, the glowing face. Third face, the veiled face. Okay. My, my favorite car, and I've never driven in one, but one of my goals is to drive one one day, is the Ferrari Testarossa. And it's because I used to play Outrun as a kid. Okay. The arcade game. And that thing can go 0 to 60 in 5.1 seconds. That sounds pretty awesome. But you know, how many of you know, if you're driving down the main high street, you probably shouldn't do that. Okay. You know, and you can be fast in ministry. You can have movement. You can have power. You can be anointed. But one of the real skills you're going to have to learn is how to drive in a lower gear so you don't scare people. So you can bring people with you. You know, and so you're spending time studying the word. That's great. You need a glowing face. You're spending time getting your mind renewed. You need a glowing face. You need a bigger vision. You need a bigger dream. You need to know the goodness of God better than you do today. You need a shadow that's dangerous. You need all of that. But you also need the wisdom to know not every situation needs you to go in there with all the glory. That needs to go in your full foot on the accelerator, slam it down. Okay. Do you know angels have got that kind of wisdom? Sometimes angels can visit you unawares. So you need the same wisdom as that. Sometimes you need to visit someone unawares. Um, some of you will know Wendell Parr. Wendell Parr said to me, he said, Ben, he said, when I go to your church, he says, until you go up and minister, I don't know who's the pastor. You're just one of everybody. And I consider that to be a real compliment. They said that about Kenyon as well. They said when he was not ministering, he was just one of every, you know, I, I don't want to be one of these pastors who can't come down and just be at the same level as everybody and just have a veiled face. And, you know, the Bible says, Jesus said to be as gentle as doves, and wise as snakes. Now, I have a very special um, love love in my heart for the nation of Kenya. And I go to Kenya every year. Uh, I'm all over um, TV in Kenya. We've got a massive TV ministry in Kenya. And I, I preach in Kenya every year. We, we, we feed people there. We're helping pregnant girls there. We're doing all sorts of stuff in Kenya. It's wonderful. And um, so I, I went to one place in Kenya a couple of years back. And they said, be careful where you're going to preach here. This is the snake country. This is where the snakes are. I was like, okay. So as soon as I got to the church, I said to the pastor, they told me this is where the snakes are. And I got to speak to the senior bishop and he was responsible for all the eight churches I was going to preach in. And um, he actually lived inside an orphanage. He set up, remarkable man. And I said, um, can you tell me, what did Jesus mean? You've lived with snakes all your life. What did Jesus mean when he said, be as wise as a snake? I said, what makes a snake wise? I, I don't live in a country where there's any snakes. You live in the country. You live in the snake area of the country. What does it mean to be as wise as a snake? And he said, it's so obvious. He said, it's the power to stay hidden until you're safe. And that's, that, that's wisdom we all need. I tell all your young people this, by the way. I said, when you go to university and they're saying that you came from goo and uh, they're saying that, you know, a man and a man together, you should celebrate that. And that's good. And, you know, all that kind of stuff that we all know is just crazy stuff. Okay. But if you're the student, shut your mouth. You don't have to argue in every class at university. Get your degree, get your doctorate, become the next professor, and then teach the truth. Stay quiet until you're safe. Okay? And all of us, have, I'm, not, I'm not advocating lying here, by the way. Just let me clarify. I'm not talking about lying. I'm just talking about veiling your faith. You don't have to tell everybody all the truth you know every time you open your mouth. Okay? Sometimes you do the best work by just holding back some stuff. Okay? We don't need to be the car park confession police. You know the kind of people we're talking about. You know, I, I, I was I was at a conference once and it was a grace conference and uh, it was a great conference. And um, we came out of the church building and there was a main road just outside the church building. And there was a lady there and she was on her phone. She just came to the church. I'm taking eyes off her phone. She's walking and she walks right in front of this main road. This car's shooting down at 50 miles an hour and there's a car and it's just about to hit her. So I grabbed her shoulder and I pulled her off the road and the car just whizzed past her. And I said, be careful, for goodness sakes. I was just, you know, kind of worked up by the whole situation. And she says, we are supposed to be careful for nothing in the name of Jesus. And I thought, now is not the time to be correct in my declarations. What on earth? You know, but we have people that just go around correct. You know, you don't have to open all the truth. OK, you don't have to tell all the truth. We had a couple in one of our churches and they came and they weren't married and they were living together and they'd had um they had one kid and then she got pregnant and they got kicked out of the that church they'd been in pentecostal church because they were living together not married and um so what did we do the elders came to me what did we do i said just don't mention it just don't mention it you know the bible says speak the truth in love doesn't it so you take the truth and you put it inside love so what comes first the love that's what people encounter first I said, just love them, treat them like they're married, and we just love them, whatever else. And what normally happens when we have um, people like that come to the church is um, 
they'll want to be involved in ministry. You know, the girl will come and say, look, I've got, I'm really good with the guitar. Can I join the worship band? Or I want to help with the children or something. I say, well, okay, that's great. But before we platform you, we need to talk about marriage. And then that's when we have that conversation. But because we've loved them for months, then it's okay. You've built the bridge. You can drive stuff across it. And with this couple, it was slightly different. I went around the house to counsel them. Um, one of their parents was an alcoholic and he was terrorizing the little kids, turning up the house drunk. And I came, we put a system in place to try and help them. And it was a really good day. I spent the day helping them. At the end of it, I'm just about to go home. I'll get, I'll get to the door and they go, Pastor, Pastor, are you not going to mention the fact we're not married? So I said, do you know you're not married? Yes. Do you know you should be married? Do you know the Bible teaches about marriage? Yes. Okay. Can I help you get married? Yes. And we helped them get married and they got married. And now they're married. And they went back to the church that kicked them out when they got married. Bless God. And they're there now. And that's okay. But, you know, that, that's how you do things. There are times you just have to veil your face. You can't just point at someone and go, unclean the first time you meet them, even if you know they're unclean. And even, even if you get that knowledge, listen, even if you get that knowledge supernaturally, sometimes you still got to veil your face. I was speaking at Assemblies of God Church a number of years ago, and um, I was just at the door shaking hands with people. And um, I, I used to be about 20-something years ago, I was the assistant pastor of this church. And so I'd been asked back to be a guest speaker, and I came back. And I was just shaking a few people's hands. I recognized some people from like years ago. And uh, this guy came in. I'd never met him before. And I shook his hand. As soon as I shook his hand, I knew from the Lord, this guy was addicted to pornography. And I knew it was, it was a horrific thing. I, I, had, I, had, I knew exactly what was going on. Well, I didn't grab his hand and go, pornographer, pornography. Let's go get everyone, this guy. You know, I didn't do that. Okay, I veiled my face. I said, Lord, I'll just pray about this. Well, during the worship, I, had, I saw myself. And uh, it was a healing service I'd been asked to do. So I was doing a healing service. And I was giving out words and knowledge for healing at the end of the service. I could see myself doing it. And I said, listen, there's somebody here who's a dictator. I said two or three things. Just this guy would definitely know it was him. I said, just come forward. And uh, me and the pastor are going to pray for people. And uh, we'll pray for you. And uh, you'll get free. And so at the end of the service, I got up and I said it exactly how I saw it. Gave the words of knowledge for healing. I saw people got healed. And this guy came forward. The pastor prayed for him. And he was completely set free. I went back to that church. Two or three, two or three years later, he was still free. Okay. Imagine if I'd just let all the truth out the minute I said met him. That'd be terrible. Fail, learn how to veil your face. Learn how to be as wise as a dove. Okay. Learn how to be, you know, you don't have to be super spiritual stan every minute of every day. Okay. And so you've got to realize that. You know, um, one of my spiritual mentors of fathers and lords was a man called Dave Duell. Some of you may have heard of him, some of you may have heard of Andrew Walmart mentioned Dave. D Dave was amazing. Because he would just veil his face. I mean, he was, he'd come to our church and he'd call, he'd tell you what day you had the car crash, where, where your wounds were, everything, pray for you, get healed. There's probably about seven babies in our church born because he prophesied over couples that couldn't have babies. And, um, but he was also so down to earth, so hilarious. I remember one Sunday, he'd finished preaching for us. And I said, right, Dave, where do you want to eat? We're in London. Anywhere you want to eat, we'll eat any food you want. We can go get any food you want. He says, actually, a really beautiful blonde from the church has asked me out for dinner. I'm going with her. I'm like, what? what like so what happened was our church building um back then was next door to a pizza hut and pizza hut used to have um unlimited eat, eat what you want on on a sunday eat anything you know eat all the food eat all the pizza on a sunday and uh, we'd stop going there as a family after church um after my boys who saw that as a competition were starting to make themselves sick you know so we just stopped going there. So my daughter was six years old, uh, a beautiful blonde. Um, she'd gone to Dave and came up to him and said, Dave, Dave, can you take me to Pizza Hut? Because my dad won't take me to Pizza Hut. Can you take me to Pizza Hut, please? Yeah, I'm telling you. So he said, I'm taking your kids to Pizza Hut, Ben. You can come with or not. And that's what he was like and totally approachable. And it just there was no hype to it. And, um, you know, this is what we need to be like. Because you're going to be standing in front of a crowd at one day. And maybe you'll end up standing in front of a crowd and you think, why am I here? Why am I here? I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know why it's going to work out. I don't know what's going to happen. And you need to know um, it's about this veiled face as well. It's about making a human connection as well as being the spiritual one. You know, now it doesn't happen to me often in the UK because in the UK, people know what I stand for. They know what I believe. I don't end up standing in front of a bunch of Baptists often. But, you know, when I go overseas sometimes, you know, I remember being in Kenya once. They asked me to preach in a church in Kenya. And um, the pastor said, have you heard about these heretic preachers? They're all preaching grace. You know, these heretics that talk about grace all the time, it's killing the church. You know, they actually say, these heretics say that every single sin you commit is forgiven at the cross. And I'm about to preach at his church. We're driving to the church. He's driving me to the church. And um, so I kept my mouth shut, wisdom of a snake, you know. Okay, that's nice. Um, he said to me, by the way, I don't even let my guest preachers use the word grace. You can't use that word tonight. Do you understand? You cannot say the word grace. Is that okay? And I said, well, you're the pastor. It's okay with me. That's called, you know, submission. That's, that's wisdom. But I thought, these, these people in this guy's church are going to need some grace. 
they're really going to need some grace. And so I said, what if I say this? I said, I'm just asking. I said, what if I say sin shall not have dominion over you because you're not under law, you're under grace. And he said, no, you can't say that. I said, you do realize that's Romans 6, 14. He says, you can't say it. He said, you cannot. He said, you're not teaching that grace heresy in my church. Now, you know, we have to learn to be adaptable. We have to learn to be adaptable. We have to learn to change our faces. And so the worship goes on. We're in Kenya. So the worship goes on for several hours. I'm happy with that. You know, it's wonderful. And I'm praying west. And the Lord gives me a plan. He shows me to preach my message on the blood of Jesus. Now, you guys know this in South Africa. Africans love it when you preach on the blood of Jesus. They just, they go crazy when preach on the blood of Jesus. And so I preached on the blood of Jesus. I preached my best grace message. But every time I was about to say grace, I said the blood of Jesus. I ended the message with sin. shall not have dominion over you because you're not under law. You're under the blood of Jesus and I had the whole church up the pastor standing up clapping man I preached a whole grace message everybody got grace and I didn't even use the word grace didn't understand the word grace the pastor loved it that's called a veiled face I could have shone on grace I could have really shone on grace I would have upset the pastor I'd have split the church I'd have never been invited back you know and so one of the things one of the moments where it's really important you veil your face is when you first get a new revelation you know, when you first start speaking in tongues, you tell everybody. You, you, there's, there's no veiling of that. You say, man, that's the best in the world. And everyone hates you, and you get kicked out of your denominational churches. And so you need to be careful with that as well. Okay. So the final four faces. If you want to ask any questions and type them in, I'm happy. But the final four faces go together. And they're all found in Ezekiel, and they're found in Revelation. And uh, just, just for the sake of time, Ezekiel 1 verse 10 is the key. You have these heavenly creatures in the book of Revelation and the book of Ezekiel. And in Ezekiel, they have four faces. Okay. And then in Revelation 4, you see these same four creatures around the front. The lion, the ox, the man, the eagle. Okay. Lion, ox, man, eagle. Now, everything God makes reflects Jesus in some way. And these four-faced creatures reflect the fact that Jesus has different faces depending on what situation he's in. Sometimes Jesus is a lion and he roars with authority. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Sometimes he's an ox and he serves us. Sometimes he's a man. He's just human with us. And sometimes he's an eagle. He's fully God and soars over the situation. That's why there's four gospels to represent Jesus. Okay. Matthew shows us Jesus as the lion. He's the king of the Jews, the lion of the tribe of Judah. If you look at Matthew's genealogy, he takes Jesus back to David. He's the son of David. He's part of the tribe of Judah. He's a king. Okay, he's the son of man. And Matthew's gospel ends with all authority on earth is mine. I'm the king. Mark shows us the ox face, the servant face, the helper. You don't get any great teachings in Mark. You get the heavy lifter side of Jesus immediately is in Mark 17 times. That's, that's the servant word. You know, you have a servant, you tell him to do something, do it now. There's no time limit here. You do it now. And um, Luke shows us the human face. Luke was a doctor. When, when Luke has a genealogy, it goes right back to Adam. He's fully human. He's as human as Adam. He's as human as Adam. He's the perfect human. It's Luke that tells us about the good Samaritan. It's Luke that tells us the prodigal son. It shows us this humanity of Jesus. And his gospel, Luke's gospel, ends with wait for the Holy Spirit. Because if you're a human, you need the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit in your humanity. And then John, his genealogy is very different. His genealogy in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. He shows us this divinity of Jesus, eagle and its source. That's why there's so much in Matthew, Mark and Luke that's similar. Because if you get an ox and a lion, a human to look at something, they see it the same way. But John sees everything differently. He's the eagle face of Jesus. He's And he, write, he ends his gospel in John 20, 31 with, I wrote this so you would know that Jesus is the son of God. So that's why there's four gospels. Jesus is so remarkable. It needs four books to show us all the facets of him because he's so awesome. Now, I, I, most people understand that. And most people have heard that before. He's the authority of a king. He's patient, kind, like a servant. He's touched with our infirmities as a human. And he soars above the world, full of the grace as God. But do you also realize that 1 John 4, 17 says, as he is, so are we in this world. So every one of us is a lion. Every one of us is a roaring lion with the authority of God. Satan wanders around like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion. You are a roaring lion. You're a lion of the tribe of Judah. You have authority. You can reign as kings. But we're all oxes as well. We're all called to serve one another. We're all called to wash each other's feet. We're all humans. Have you noticed we've all got living songs, all got preferences? We've all got a different favorite song, different favorite TV program. We all have a human side to us. 
And that gets neglected sometimes in faith circles. You're a human being. It's okay to be human. And, but we're all the sons of God as well, aren't we? We're all divine. We can all store in the spirit. We can all pray in tongues. We can all reach a new place in God. So I've lost a page of my notes. Where could it be? Hold on. Yeah, <laughs> it's on the back. So every one of us needs to learn how to flow in each of those four faces. One of the things I see when I see poor leadership is that normally it's someone bringing the same face, their favorite face, to every single situation. And it doesn't work for Jesus. He needed to show different faces to different people, and it won't work for you. You need a lion face. You need a face that says, I'm in charge of this situation. This is the face you need when you're dealing with sickness, when you're dealing with the devil, when you're dealing with poverty. You roar at that thing. You stand up. You speak to the storms. You be the lion. Don't give sickness your human face. Okay? When someone's all sick, oh, it must be very sad being sick. Oh, I feel so, so sad. You're sad. So sad. You're sick. You know? No. You need to stand and say, you need to look at that sickness like a lion looks at the zebra, you know? Uh, you, you are my dinner. You, you're going to be my dinner. Okay? You need a revelation that you reign with Christ. You're a king. How do kings rule? How does a king rule? You know, we rule as kings. That's what Romans 5.17 says. So what does that mean to reign, to rule as a king? Okay. And I know your pastor can teach the believers authority, but you need to keep reminding yourself, I've got the lion's face. I reign like a king. This is how a king reigns. When a king wakes up in the morning, it's breakfast time. And the king wants cornflakes for breakfast. Is that a thing in South Africa? Cornflakes? Cornflakes over there? I want cornflakes for breakfast. The king does not go down to the royal kitchen. He doesn't get the royal bowl and pour the royal cornflakes in and add the royal milk. No, the king sits down on his throne and says, cornflakes. And somebody else goes and gets in the cornflakes. He uses his words. Now, if somebody comes up with cocoa pops, the king doesn't go, ah, I guess it must just be the plan of God. I have cocoa. He says, no, no, no. I did not order this. I ordered cornflakes. Now go and sort yourself out or I'm going to cut your head off. Okay. This is my order. That's why I order. And we need to be like that. We need a lion face. I've ordered healing. I've ordered abundance. I've ordered prosperity. I've ordered victory. Okay. Healing is the children's bread. Okay. Sickness is the lion's zebra. Okay. You need to stand in faith, stand in authority and reign. And if you want to be an effective leader, you need to know there are times to have your lion's face. When is it time for me to use my authority? Am I in charge of this situation? If I am, I'm going to roar at it and it's going to, it's going to submit to me. But we also need, we also need an oxen face, don't we? Every one of us, you're not too big to be a servant. You're not too big to be humble. You're not too big to pull the yoke. You're not too big to get the job done. Not one of you is too important to wash someone else's feet. We all need at times to use our servant face. You know, even if you've got six churches, another five on the way, sometimes you need to be the one to visit someone in hospital. Sometimes you're the one who sits up late at night and writes the child protection policy. Sometimes you've got a man up, ox up, and just do what needs to be done immediately and get the job done. And ultimately, every one of us is serving Jesus. And our response to Jesus, when he says something, should always be like he was in Mark, immediately. You know, I, I run a leadership academy on Saturdays. Three hours of teaching on how to be a better leader. And we talk about finance, talk about gifts of spirit, talk about the Bible, and we talk about decision-making, do all that kind of stuff. Now, he, he, here's what I did not do it immediately, okay? We had a conference a couple of years ago, and we had Ashley Teradez and Billy Epperhart speak at that conference. And um, during that conference, uh, I was preaching on tithing. So that's the message Amanda said I should have taught today, but I, I really felt it goes away. Um, and um, in the middle of that, God speaks to me and says, start a leadership academy. And I said, yes. But it wasn't, yes, sir, immediately, sir. It was just, okay. You know? And so every wife in the room knows what that kind of yes means. Oh, yeah, that'll be done. Yeah, I'll get that done. You know, you don't have to remind me every year. It'll get done. I'll, I'll tidy it. I'll sort it. Okay. You know, I wasn't disobeying God. I just wasn't immediate. I wasn't another ox face on. And so mid-September, I'm at a pastor's conference just outside London. And uh, one of the speakers at the pastor's conference, a guy called Ed Shirley, some of you may know him. He's got a church in Conifer up in Colorado. And um, during his message, he grabs me. He didn't lay hands on me. He grabbed me. You understand? And he said, he virtually picks me off the ground. Ed's a big guy. He virtually picks me off the ground. He goes, God has given you a tool to equip people and you're not picking it up and you're not using it. And you need to pick up right now. And I knew it was about this leadership academy that I was just putting off. Within three weeks, I had the first session. Within three weeks, this thing started. I needed my ox face. I need to do what God said. I need to write the stuff, get the stuff done, get up early on a Saturday, stop treating my time so precious and do what needs to be done. We all need to serve people. Never forget that. Okay. Now, listen. You have to serve the people, but I want you to know this as well. This is just a little caveat, okay? 
when you serve the people that doesn't mean you become their servant you're jesus's servant okay now i've never found a better illustration for this than alfred in batman okay does everyone know batman batman made his way to south africa okay alfred serves bruce wayne bruce wayne is the master now if you get to stay with batman for a week and you're in batman's house in wayne manor Okay, and you say, Alfred, could I have this? He's going to serve you. He's going to serve you and serve you and serve you. He's going to be like an ox just serving you. But if you ask Alfred to do something that he knows will make Mr. Wayne unhappy, that's going to make the Batman unhappy, he's going to say, I'm very sorry. I'm here to serve you, but I'm not your servant. I don't work for you. And you need to understand, as a leader, I'm here to serve the people that God's brought to me, but I don't serve them. I'm not their servant. I'm the servant of Jesus Christ. And if someone asks me to do something, well, that's, if, you, if you're going to serve me, you do this. You're going to serve me. No, no, no. No, I'm not your servant. I will serve you, but I'm serving you under the authority of Jesus Christ. We have to be oxes for Jesus, ultimately. You also need a human face. Man, that needs to be said. It's amazing we have to say that. But you go to some churches, it's like Stepford Wives. You know, it's like robots for Jesus. Hallelujah. You know, God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. And most people, what's the soul? It's your mind. It's your will. It's your emotions. And that's all true. But one of the other things that happens in your soul is you have preferences. We all have preferences. And the problem is this. If you have a church which doesn't value the fact that we have human faces, is nothing then becomes a preference. Everything has a morality added to it. Okay? So, well, I like this kind of worship music. Well, that's just because you're not as spiritual as me. If you were as holy as me, you would like the same worship music I like. No, we're just different. We were raised differently in different generations, in different cultures, with different radio stations on when we were growing up. We like different music. It's being part of a human. Okay? We all have our preferences, and we have to be able to admit we prefer things. And I get very concerned if you're in a church culture, if you come to me, I don't, I don't like that, I don't, I don't like that, I like that, I don't like that, okay? My, my wife loves the period dramas, you know? And she really loves those, and that's her preference. It's not my preference. Well, actually, my preference is period dramas, as long as the period is 500 years in the future, and people got teleportation devices and photon tobias, that's it, you know? And, you know, she, she like watching a love story. I like love stories too, but I like love stories where the guy doesn't just climb out of the water and have a wet shirt, you know? If a guy's going to get the girl, he should at least keep a bus above 50 miles an hour for the whole film or something, you know? He should do something. That's a love story. He, he actually achieved that kind of stuff. He didn't just, you know, but, you know, we're all different. We all have different preferences. And the problem is if we don't realize we have human faces, we judge people for their preferences. Or you like to go to bed late. That's because you're carnal. If you're spiritual, you got early in the morning now some people go to bed late some people get up early. it's just people have preferences you know and um there's no such thing as the devil's music okay oh, it's the devil's music well it depends i mean obviously if they're saying hail satan it's the devil's music but that's about the words it's not about the tempo there's not a drum beat that summons a devil you know just come on now we have preferences okay it's been hard in the UK for the last year, and you guys have had it too. You can't meet, you can't have big services, you can't have that. And uh, just the other day, I was just feeling a bit down about the whole thing. But, you know, I didn't need to roar at it like a lion. I didn't need to, you know, get involved with it like that. I didn't need to do all that kind of stuff, okay? My notes are not in order today, and Jesus is still Lord. Hallelujah. I didn't need to get upset with it. I just needed to... Just do it. I'm missing the last page of my notes. It must not print it off. I can do this from memory, though. Okay? I just needed to be human. I just need to speak to somebody and have a chat with somebody. Sometimes you need the human face. Sometimes you need the eagle face. You need to soar and pray in the spirit. Sometimes roaring at a mountain is not the right thing. Sometimes you just need to flow right over the mountain and just miss out on it. You don't have to go through it. So you have to learn the wisdom to know what face to use when. Now, let me just say this. This is not expressly about leadership, apart from the fact that if you don't have a good marriage... Okay, you're not going to be an effective leader. Okay, men and women know what face to bring in your marriage. Okay, so I'll, I'll go out and minister someone. I'll say I'll go to Kenya, I'll go to Albania, okay, the different countries that I go to quite regularly. And when I'm out there, I'm, you get my lion face. I'm casting out devils, I'm healing the sick. You get my um, eagle face, I'm flowing in the gifts, I'm ministering to people, man, it's awesome. And then I get home and I fly home and I get off the plane and I drive home and there's my wife there. She does not need my lion face. I don't need to take authority. She doesn't need me to, to flow in the spirit of prophesy. You know what she needs? She needs someone to empty the bins. You know, she needs someone to do so. She needs my ox face. Guys, that's the number one face to have at home is your ox face. Okay. And ladies, you need your human face. Your, your, your guy wants you to be human. 
Okay, let's pray together. Let's pray together. Yeah, we can pray together, but let's be human together. That's going to build your marriage up. And I've seen it. I've seen couples roaring at each other. Oh, I'll take authority of you. I'll bind the devil in you. Wrong face for a marriage, guys. That's not the right face for your marriage. Don't do that. Okay, come down to be human with one another. And you've got to learn when to bring the right face out. And, you know, when all you've got is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. Yeah. And if all you've got is your lion face, that's the only one you know how to use. You're just going to roar everything. And everyone's got a favorite way of dealing with problems. But we are leaders in the body of Christ, and we have a greater responsibility than that. And we have to look at situations and say, right, in this situation, I'm going to lay hands on this person. I'm going to roar at this sickness, and they're going to be healed. Okay. But in this situation, I'm going to sit down with this person. I'm going to be like Job's comforters. I'm not even going to lecture this guy. I'm just going to sit with him and be in the same room as him. Um. I remember visiting someone in hospital and uh, I mean, sometimes one of the hardest things to pass, you have to shift from face to face quickly. And so I went to the hospital to pray for a dying baby. And this couple had already lost one baby and they're, you know, and they come to us and they got this baby that's dying. And uh, we went there and I prayed for this baby and um, I can't remember the measurements, but it needed to drink four milk, wherever the measurement was of milk, it needed to drink four and um, the baby only drank a maximum of one at any one time. It was underweight, it was a tiny little baby. And I prayed, and I had my lion's face, I rebuked that sickness, and suddenly my eagle's face kicked in. God gave me a word of knowledge, and I said, by the time this day's finished, your baby's going to drink five units at once. It's going to happen. And then, you know, I'm now in authority, I'm now in faith. So I said to my wife, let's go across the road to the baby clothes shop, and let's buy a bigger baby grow for this baby. I'm, I'm so, I know this is going to happen, this baby's fine, everything's fine. And then I realized which hospital I was in. There was a lady there. She wasn't really part of our church, but her and her husband would come occasionally. And she had cancer and she was in a really bad way. And I said, let's go downstairs. She's on the floor below. Let's go and visit her and pray for her. So we came downstairs and we got there. And I said to the nurse, okay to speak to this lady. And the nurse says, you'll have to speak to the family. And the brother came out and the brother had been to our church quite a few times. And he saw me and I, I realized instantly, as soon as I saw him, I knew that, you know, she passed away. And so I came into the room, he invited me into the room, and the husband starts yelling at me. How could this happen? How could God do this? How could this? How could that? He needed a human face. He didn't need me to yell back. He didn't need me to saw in the spirit. He needed a human face. I said, look, I'm just going to sit down here and be with you until you don't need me to be with you. I'm not going to get into a theological debate with you. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to sit here and be with you. And he just... Everything just kind of went down and he sat down and we both sat on opposite sides of his wife's body. She just passed away just half an hour before and we just stayed there and we were just in silence for about an hour. At the end of it, he looked at me and he went, what am I going to do about my boy? And I think the kid was about eight or nine. I says, well, as a church, we're going to do what we can to help you. We're going to get through this. And we're going to do this, you know, and so I had to change faces very quickly. And sometimes that's hard, but you have to have that wisdom. Like what face does this person need? You know, start praying in tongues. And, you know, the amount of times we try and roar our way through a situation, this is me personally, that's my natural face is to yell at something until it moves, okay? That's my natural, that's my favorite approach. There's so many times I, I, I look back, like if I just soared in the spirit of it, I could have avoided that man. I, mean, I, think I could have flown over that and I could have had some fun. I could have had some fun flying over that thing. You know, I could have been soaring in the spirit, you know, gone another way. You know, we need to be human with one another. We need to have a place where it's okay to have a preference. It's okay, well, I don't like that, okay? And again, there's times where we need to go above our preferences. Okay, well, I don't like that speaker when he comes. He's not one of my favorites, but pastors invited him. The church gets blessed by him. I'm going to sit down and be part of it. I'm going to take notes. And I'm going to do what I can to go over it. Okay, maybe it's just the way he speaks. Maybe it's just, I don't know, but I'm going to get over that. There's times you have to get over your preference because it's not just you. There's times when I go to the cinema, I don't just watch the film I want. It's not just me. There's my wife and my kids and we all choose together. And so we laid down our preferences for the greater whole, but let's not pretend they're anything more than just preferences. Okay, this is the kind of song I like. It's the kind of song I like. It's, 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 it's just a preference. It doesn't make you more spiritual, less spiritual. And so let's get that right. Let's get these things right. Let's have a face that says, if anyone comes at my family, if anyone comes at my church family, I'm not going to let any backbiting in here. I'm going to look at you. And you're going to shut up. I don't even need to speak to you. This conversation is over. Let's shine. Let's spend time alone and shine. But also let's know there's times when let's just hold it back. You know, when you go back to work on Monday morning. What did you do at weekend church? Well, the glory of God filled the room. We all laid in our face for six hours. Oh, I'm not going to come to your church. 
you know maybe that's not the shining you know okay well we, we worship we had a great time i met some great friends there and I'm not, we're not lying we're just not telling a hundred percent of everything all the time and just blast, blasting out at people because that's not helpful to anyone does that make sense um but if you go to our website tree.church uh, we've also got tree.church slash youtube our youtube channel has got hundreds right. of hours of teaching leadership trainings on there so tree.church slash youtube and if you want to get our app as well tree.church slash app it goes on google android apple kindle goes on roku and apple tv and all that kind of stuff that's got hundreds and hundreds of hours of teaching as well so they're the two best places tree.church slash youtube and tree.church slash app fantastic thank you so much ben it looks like everybody got what you were saying i don't see any questions in the chat section Unless they well, see nice. the question, you can uh, raise your hand and then we'll give you a moment to type it in the, in the chat section. Anybody? Uh, we're all good. We're all good. Oh, thank you so much, Ben. Please text this. The couple, is it Sims and Stoons? Have I got that right? Yeah, yeah, Sims and yes. Simeon. I, I don't know which one here is Sims and which one is Sims. Sorry, that's I'm unfamiliar. But I have this word, and again, test this, test this with your pastor, test this with the Lord, test this with what you're hearing in your heart. But it seems to me that for quite some time, there's been a door that you've been pushing to open, and it's just not moving. And it's a frustration to you, and you come on, okay. And I just want you to know that I really believe the Lord is saying that what you've tried to do for yourself and never managed to achieve that the Lord before the end of this year is going to do for you. Mm. And it's going to be done in such a way that the two of you could never, ever take the credit or the glory for it. Man. You'd have to stop and say, this is a work of the Lord. The Lord has done this. And I sense it's going to be, as you start to speak, there's going to be a real sense of the presence of the Lord, that you're going to draw people into God's presence in a way. And some of them are going to be people you just wouldn't expect, people you wouldn't expect to be drawn to God's presence, people you wouldn't expect to appreciate God's presence. And so your ministry is always going to be to people who are quite unusual and quite strange. And people mm -hmm. think, well, everyone else, well, how did that happen? But this door you've been pushing, it's almost like the Lord saying, stop pushing so hard. I'm going to open it for you. The timing is right. So just relax. It's going to be open for you and it's going to give all the glory to God. Awesome. Thank you. Good. Amen. My wife here is saying that's so true. She's confirming that word. Uh, ben, awesome. uh, I don't see any questions. Do you want to uh, uh, okay. pray for everybody, Ben, as we wrap it up? Yeah, I'd love to. Joy. Thank I you, really man. appreciate you do that. Go Thank you, everyone, for listening to me. I really do. I, I don't take that lightly that you've got your time to listen to what I've got to say. But, Father, in the name of Jesus... We thank you so much for Pastor Defar, for Pastor Chipo. We thank you so much for everyone who's here right now. Lord, I just speak blessings over them. I speak that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would hover over them, that they would know that you would shape them to be greater leaders, to have greater influence, to help more people, to serve more people, to love more people, that they would know which faces they need to work on, which faces they need to flow in more. And Lord, you would give everyone the wisdom to take this message and apply it to their life and apply it to what they're doing. And I speak blessings over the whole church in the name of Jesus. I speak increase. I speak an increase in death. I speak an increase in numbers. I speak an increase in campuses in the name of Jesus. Amen.